You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and canna-curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. This is episode number 187. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour and Conference, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Join us and over 21,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. Today, we're talking about a cannabis experiment in London, adult use sales on fire in Montana opening weekend, a German startup lays ground the groundwork for a cannabis bonanza. MJ Biz is acquired for $120 million. GOP Kentucky Senator who sells bourbon invites voters to unseat him over medical cannabis opposition and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage if we have time. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the... Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Her superpowers are overcoming obstacles and challenges with unstoppable energy. She's also an amazing daughter, friend, and activist. What's your headline today, Nicole? I am working from home today, so we'll start with a little bong hit. And my headline today actually is coming out of Oklahoma um, in the Tulsa World paper and TulsaWorld.com. And it's in regards to the new tracking system and some fraud that had happened um, amongst medical patients in Oklahoma. Headline reads, update, medical marijuana patients get scam warnings after the switch to new licensing software is announced. OMMA has warned licensed patients about the email scam following the announcement of new licensing software. Someone fraudulently posing as the OMMA employee is sending a scam email asking for medical marijuana licensees to verify their email address using a link. Do not click the link or respond to the scam email, which comes from a Gmail account unaffiliated with the OMMA. The warning reads, according to the agency, patients currently licensed with the OMMA will receive an email around January 18th from a no reply at omes.ok.gov with login credentials for the new licensing system. The Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority will be using the new licensing software provided starting January 18th, official says said in the new release. The new provider, uh, 10... 
Authentia will feature uh, reduced turnaround times, decreased likelihood of error, and more user-friendly interface, OMA officials said. The last day to use the previous software through Complia is Friday, and after that, the licensing system will be down for a week from Monday through January 17th while the agency makes the transition. Under the new software, the applications and renewal portals are designed to make it more difficult to submit an application with errors, which will reduce longer wait times for applications processing, making the process smoother for OMA regulations. License holders will be able to update their information directly to a website after the switch to the new software. With Complia, license holders have to contact the OMA directly to ask for a change. Any license holder is now unable to access their email address. The agency has on file will need to request an update for the information by Friday, calling the OMA at 405-522-6662. Now, this is really important for anybody who's had a transition of ownership and the person who is in charge in that main email may not be the person who was originally in charge of those things. So if there was any transition of management and those logins, really important. The applications that are started in the current system but still incomplete by Monday will not be transferred to the new software. The patient's licensing team plans to zero out all queues before the data integration migration begins on Monday. Um, I personally have a bit of an opinion on this because I was astonished to find out that Complia got that software. Um, I was a consultant on Complia and one of their first clients in Colorado uh, in 2015. Uh, they utilized all of my tracking systems to keep track of licensing. And what originally the purpose was, was to be an internal system for business owners to be able to manage all of the moving pieces. And I it worked really well for me and other companies that have used it and the system, um, but they integrated it into being a government platform, which I was really fucking blown away by. I'm, I was bummed because at the end when they utilized the software or when they rolled out the software, they had offered me uh, shares and I was really unsatisfied with the way the software had come out. So I basically told them to kick rocks, super disappointed on the kick rocks when they got a multi-million dollar contract in three different states. Uh, but as it turns out, they're getting egg on their face for the way the software works in a government way. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. There are two other states that Complia operates in currently. Uh, Missouri and Montana are the two other states besides Oklahoma. So we will see how that works out. Um, I'm super interested to see. I, I definitely know that there were some issues when it comes to HIPAA requirements as well. So we'll see how this shakes out in Missouri and Montana. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Thank you, Nicole. If there's anyone in the audience that has any experience with this, please raise your hand and come up on the stage and let's talk about it. This sounds like another Oklahoma shit show. It's not okay in Oklahoma. Do any other correspondents have any comments? I just want to say the transition is going to be painful as hell. So everybody who is currently on the Complia system, please, please, please double check by Friday to make sure all of the information that is in there is correct. And if not, reach out to the OMMA to make sure that that gets remedied before the transition happens so you don't get up it caught in some of the chaos when the new system rolls out because nothing is ever right on a software transition. Anybody who's ever changed POS systems or tracking systems or anything like that can understand. It usually takes at least a couple months to work out the kinks of the new system, regardless of how good the new system is. So I just highly recommend everybody in Oklahoma who's on Complia, get your ducks in a row by Friday. It sounds like there's a tornado watch war warning in the metaverse of the Complia, Complia space. Quack, quack, quack. It seems to highlight how vulnerable we as cannabis companies are also to these, um, you know, hacks that are going on all over. We're seeing with other industries, you know, I sometimes forget about that. And thanks for bringing this story up, Nicole. 
I actually heard a rumor recently that somebody is trying and has been hacking metric and utilizing the routes to rob people. So there's a lot of, you know, concerns about hacking um, in the system. Yeah. And go ahead and pick on the cannabis industry because they've got all of the money and they deserve it because we're bad. I mean, all the softwares, every company, if there's money and there's a software and there's a way to hack it, it's being hacked. Like, I mean, they're, they're hacking old people there. That's like the main focus is to take advantage of seniors when it comes to these online frauds. Um, it's regularly happening. It's not just cannabis. It's literally the world. And it's what's happening with the, you know, the metaverse and the way the world is being taken over by technology. Old people are getting hacked through the U.S. mail too. I mean, the old well, I'm old too, but the really old people that I know, I cannot believe how much mail they get, how much junk mail, calendars and shit, you know? They want but, you to sign up, sign up for this thing. We'll send you more stickers. We'll send you more stickers and calendars. Jesus. All right. Rico, did you want to give a last word? I was just saying, but they don't want you to vote by mail though, huh? Right. Yeah. All right. So, mail is appropriate. Say that again, Absentee Jason. voting is appropriate. Okay. So up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is also a superstar at cracking dad jokes. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Canavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? All right, so mine's coming out of MJ moment. Out of respect for my brown brothers and sisters, I'm trying to weed the M word out of my vocab, if you see what I did there. Uh, GOP Kentucky senator who sells bourbon invites voters to unseat him over medical cannabis opposition. And what seems to be an ongoing trend of Republican leadership claiming to know what's best for their constituents, despite obvious voter sentiment pointing the opposite direction, Kentucky State, uh, Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer apparently has chosen the exact hill he wants to die on. Thayer said he knows his constituents support legalizing medical cannabis, but he won't vote for it because he fears it'll lead to adult use legalization. It didn't take long for us to follow the money on this one, y'all. You see, Thayer, the owner of a bourbon distillery, doesn't seem to see the irony in his position and said that people can go ahead and try to vote him out if they're upset about it, according to the article. Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer, Republican, was asked about the issue during a panel discussion with other legislators on 2022 legislative priorities hosted by Kentucky Educational Television, KET, on Monday. Uh, when, show, uh, when shown poll numbers revealing the state's voters strongly back medical cannabis, Thayer responded, acknowledging the policy does enjoy broad support in Kentucky. I'm just not for it. The moderator was caught off guard. Are you hearing from your constituents that they want it to be considered? I've been hearing about it for years. I know my constituents are for it, but this is a republic. And they elect us to go to Frankfurt and make decisions on their behalf. And if they don't like it, they can take it out on me on the next election. Hmm. In the immortal internet words of Cameron Giles, better known as legendary rapper Cameron, you mad. But you know what? I've kind of torn on this one. Usually the politicians against progressive cannabis politics hide behind some kind of 
debunked reefer madness, public safety bullshit when confronted about voter sentiment leaning forward on decriminalization or legalization efforts. But this dude just straight up said, nah, I know better than y'all on this. My business is going belly up if this shit passes and I'll be damned if it happens on my watch. You know what? I respect that. Thank you, Mr. Thayer, for telling us how you really feel. Such a breath of fresh air. And I think Christy Noem said, uh, uh, she set a new standard of this type of bullshit, this type of politic. And you know what? Who knows? It might work. As the article points out, it's a brazen statement for an elected, elected official effectively telling people he represents that he knows better than them and daring them to unseat him if they don't like his position. But given a recent poll showing 68 percent of voting Republicans still believe Joe Biden didn't win the 2020 election, maybe he can refuse to leave, blame the shit on voter fraud and some shit and continue to get more attention and respect than he deserves. Or maybe he can just lock himself in his distillery and drink the pain away before the bank comes out to cut the locks. I don't know. Head over to MJ Moment if y'all want to hear the whole panel. It's revealing. I'll say that. Very revealing. This is Rico Lamite, Jet Magazine's Dope Dad of the Week, reporting live for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Back to you, Susan. Voters calling. I, I, I respect this guy uh, for, for him coming out on his stance and just keeping it real and 100 in the streets. And uh, I think it's up to the, uh, the will of the voters in Kentucky to make sure that this uh, gentleman is voted out of office on this upcoming election. Maybe voters Joe Manchin vote. will do the same thing on the infrastructure bill. Joe Manchin is a patriot and a true champion, and that infrastructure bill is trash and shouldn't go anywhere. I feel like Kentucky is one of the few places that might actually not vote this guy out. Um, and I'm not trying to like shit on Kentucky, but maybe a little like scat, because uh, the the level of of um, backwardsness and a lot of thought processes, regardless to the evolution of society, um, has always felt like a, a at least a few years behind. In um, I mean, the fact that Alabama is moving and Kentucky's not is I think interesting, but um, you know. In Alabama and Kentucky, there's been a lot of pushback on things. I've had meetings in like Oklahoma that felt like I was having meetings in the future compared to a meeting that I had in Kentucky. So I, I see this might being a place that actually doesn't vote this guy well, out. Well, and I think we have Kentucky's to remember kinda, that Kentucky's kind of Midwest too. There's probably a whole other host of issues that voters are going to care about before they care about cannabis. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if the voters really come out and say, yes, this can't, this guy is terrible because of his stance on cannabis, so we're dumping him. I don't think that's going to happen. I, th- I understand that cannabis voters like to come out and vote for, you know, a, a ballot measure or something, but is it really a an issue that's going to move them on a seated official? I don't think so. The because cannabis, the vote, the cannabis voting block is a real thing. I believe you, but I just think that there are other issues that weigh higher on their minds, like, you know, health care, education. I think, And all of that's being paid for by taxes. And in a state like Illinois, uh, taxes from cannabis uh, has surpassed taxes from alcohol. So when we talk about how do we get shit done, well, we get shit done with money. And the only way to get money in the government is through taxes. And when we're being one of the most, you know, lucrative tax streams, um, I, I, it's cute to think that people don't care, but they want the money and they'll come for it. I get it, but you also have to remember this is Kentucky. This is not a state like Illinois where cannabis is bringing in a ton of money yet. This and Kentucky, you, you know, you got to be part of the old boys club, and that's that's facts. 
can- cannabis is more than just getting high. It is medicine. It is jobs. It is criminal justice reform. Cannabis is a huge, huge issue. And, you know, I think, I think honestly, the, the way that voters would be motivated to shift it wouldn't be cannabis. It would be the outright disregard for <laughs> He literally said, I will not listen to what my constituents want to protect my financial interests. And that is the question we need to be asking ourselves as voters. Do we want those people to be our representatives regardless of industry? I just want to say, uh, cl- closing up on this, that uh, I-, I agree with Nicole and Gretchen and their sentiments around the, around the different voting blocks. But let's also remember that Kentucky has a long cannabis his- history from the cornbread mafia. Well, they were the first in 2014 for the hemp pilot program, so... You know hemp isn't weed, Priscilla. Let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that headline. Um, and up next, we have Liz Rogan. Liz Rogan is a cannabis educator, brand strategist, and the healthcare consultant and the founder of Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. What do you have for us today, Liz? Good morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me. Um, happy hump day. Thanks for joining us. My story today comes from Cal Coast News by Karen Belly. The headline reads, Cannabis Kingpin versus Public Integrity, Slow County Judge to Decide. So this story focuses around the Natural Healing Center in San Luis Obispo County, um, and this is specifically in San Luis Obispo City itself. Um, The Natural Healing Center, which is the location in the city, filed a lawsuit in December against the city alleging improper termination of its cannabis shop permit and asking the court to allow the city to revoke it and allow them to open. So in October, the retail license was revoked after one of the business owners, Helios Bobby Dayspring, pleaded guilty to both tax evasion and bribery charges. Um, The Natural Healing Center argues it is entitled to some measures of due process before its permit was yanked and that the city had no right under its own ordinance to rescind the license after it was granted. Their lawsuit argues that by the time the permit was issued, Dayspring had no longer an owner of the business after transferring all of his interests to his girlfriend, Belnette Garcia. So essentially they're saying um, that he uh, did not disclose his criminal activity and lied about owning this underlying property during the application process. This allowed uh, him to get extra points with a slow county council members and they basically also, sorry, Helios Dayspring um, made donations to them and they failed to report that. Um, and they created the selection process in late 2018 for determining the winners of these three lucrative cannabis retail permits. So Helios Dayspring has been shown to have been uh, essentially kind of, uh, sorry, he's essentially been bribing um, some of these supervisors. It's been proven he's pled guilty. But Gartnett's, um, sorry, Garcia's attorney, John Armstrong, asserts that the city can't revoke this permit because he's no longer part of this application. One thing this focuses on is the property's way over market value and still a possible avenue for Dayspring to benefit from the cannabis shop, even though he's no longer in his name because Dayspring rents the property to his girlfriend's business for $55,000 a month or $660,000 a year. And she paid a $110,000 security deposit. So the city is saying that even though he is no longer an owner, he still is benefiting financially. And 
the city is standing behind their decision to re- to revoke the retail license. So we shall see what happens from this lawsuit. But what I wanted to point out is that corruption affects everyone and the exorbitant costs that businesses have had to pay historically to landlords and other people because of the cannabis industry doesn't help um, push this. But corruption is rife and It'll be interesting to see what happens here. Uh, this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, kind of swimming through this corruption story. Does anyone have anything to say? I do. <laughs> I was on a video conference call with this guy one time, and <clears throat> it was the most bizarre thing I have ever experienced. Well, no, but it was very bizarre. He turned his camera around so that we could see as he drove up his extremely long driveway. I'm talking about like a mile, fancy driveway. And then we were on the the call for about an hour, and he walked through his entire gigantic mansion and his backyard, I guess, so that we could see how rich he was. I don't know. It was so bizarre. He's, he's, He's a strange cat. That's like how he interacts as a human being in person too, Susan. Like it's, it's like a continuous reminder of the, the, the toys that he has and the vacations that he's going on. That's uh, not a unique experience. It's unfortunate for a lot of the people here in, in this area who have tried to do it legitimately and been pushed out by this. But it also shows that a lot of people in San Luis Obispo were going to work for his company. They now also are, will be out jobs and other vendors. So it really shows, I think, how many people it affects with this. I'm, you know, it, are they going to come for MedMen? Yeah. Also, uh, <clears throat> his success is based on, uh, in in my opinion, this is I don't have any hard evidence, but uh, he he lifted an application from Jushi, and um, you know bribery and stolen applications and cut and paste and there you go. The American way. Copy paste, find and replace. Throw away the keys. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's keep smoking. So she was named to the top 25 women in cannabis making history and is the CEO of the award-winning Original Breeders League. She also has one more golden bong than your favorite industry influencer. Up next, got the illustrious Priscilla Agoncillo. What you smoking on this morning, Pete? Not carbs, unfortunately. (laughs) Thanks, Rico. Uh, So my article is German startups lay the groundwork for a marijuana bonanza. Uh, Two of three parties in Germany's new governing coalition support legalization, a potentially radical shift in the conservative country. Uh, Germany's new government announced that it would legalize recreational cannabis for adults in its coalition contract presented in October. Although no bill or official schedule for a law exists yet, experts believe one will be passed within the next two years. Medical cannabis is legal in Germany and small quantities of it uh, for are allowed for personal use. Um, it was also decriminalized years ago, but companies like a company called Sanity are scrambling to make sure that they are ready to supply an adult use market. Sanity Group is a startup that built the first high-tech testing facility where technicians will be using chromatography to test the makeup of imported cannabis plants. They retrofitted an old winery. Sanity Group says that it has received more than 65 million euros 
or about 73 million in funding to date from international and national investors, including Casa Verde, Snoop Dogg's investment fund. Uh, the musician Will I Am is on record for investing, and actress Alyssa Milano, uh, also a German soccer star, as well as more conventional investment funds. Bavaria Weed bought one of the last Cold War bunkers to uh, build to be built in Bavaria. Um, Bavaria and installed a production line that is capable of packaging 20,000 individual doses a day. In its current configuration, the processing plant can handle 21 tons of cannabis a year, according to the company. Neither Sanity nor Bavaria Weed grows their own plants. Although there are some German companies that do, they import licensed product from Canada and Portugal. Recent study estimated that legalized cannabis could generate nearly 5 billion euro annually just in tax revenue and savings in policing. The study, led by Mr. Hawke, an economist at the Dusseldorf Institute for Com Competition Economics, also estimates legalization could create 27,000 new jobs. According to the research, the legal market could generate a demand for 400 tons per year. They're saying that Germany has microclimates for wine, and they are anticipating to grow excellent cannabis, and that there are many similarities to vintners and cannabis growers. This is Priscilla reporting on Germany for what their latest news is for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Shout out to Germany. Uh, I actually grew up in Bavaria, lived three years in Munich, two years in Augsburg. I can't wait to go back there. It's just legalized and uh, smoked me a fat ass joint on a military base. I, I think this is a good example that the, the East Coast needs to to look at. Uh, you know, they're they're getting their industry started by importing cannabis. Yeah, but they're importing cannabis boof. from Canada. So, you know, Rico, I don't know why you want to go to Germany to smoke boof. Who said I'm going to get my weed there? You can just go to Canada. <laughs> I think it goes well beyond cannabis, guys. we got to look bigger. It's a much bigger economic picture. It was. I liked in this story, though, they highlighted the places where they were doing it, like the winery that they redid and then also using some bunkers from the Cold War. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah the, Ger the German food is. Bit. Yeah, the German food is fucking phenomenal. I can't wait to see what kind of infused edibles and uh, munchies they got going on there to serve the market too. It's gonna be huge. I'd say the incredible, not the culinary art. I think the food in the Czech Republic was a little tastier, Rico. I, I did a bike tour through Germany and. The Czech Republic, and I think the Czech Republic's food was a lot tastier. I have made infused schnitzel. It was part of, it wasn't supposed to be infused, but it was one of my culinary exams. And I gotta say, once you add cannabis to anything, every culinary food can be delicious and delightful. And infused well, schnitzel and spazzy. Oh, they do have good riesling. That does sound delicious. Well, thank you so much for that. Schnitzel. And information about in Germany. Um, and up next, we have Menika Mahajan. Menika is a pot smoking PhD and cannabis policy consultant. What do you have for us today, Menika? Good morning, Nicole, News Hour team, and listeners. My story today comes from Seaborn Larson of the Independent Record, a Montana publication. And the people of Montana started the new year off blissfully high as the state's recreational cannabis market went live on January 1st. And during the first weekend, recreational sales topped $1.5 million with another 400000 in medical sales. 
the Department of Revenue's Cannabis Control Division tallied a combined total of $1,999,597 in rec and medical sales last Saturday and Sunday. And with a state statewide 20% sales tax on recreational cannabis, that opening weekend brought in $1,566,980, which amounted to $313,000 plus in tax revenue for the state. And then there's a 4% tax on the medical sales, which uh, also provided the state another $17,000 plus in tax revenue. Local t- there will also be a local tax of up to 3% that will be imposed in four counties, but that's not effective yet. And as our correspondent Victoria Littman reported on New Year's Eve last week, not all Montana counties were eligible to participate on January 1st. In green counties, providers that were operating before voters passed the legalization measure, Initiative 190, could start those sales on January 1st. And as part of the negotiations over recreational marijuana or cannabis during the 2021 legislative session, lawmakers inserted a provision into House Bill 701 that linked adult use sales to whether the county voters supported Initiative 190. And so in counties with where most voters backed legalization, recreational sales would be automatically allowed. There are 29 such counties. Counties where voters rejected the measure would have to hold an additional public vote to opt in. And 27 counties continue to ban on recreational cannabis uh, as a result of that. But unlike California, where local bans undermine the success of the regulated industry, roughly 90% of Montana's population is located in green counties. So that's kind of the, the lay of the land on, uh, on who gets access to rec cannabis and who doesn't. And now here's where the money goes. The first $6 million in tax revenue goes to the HEART Fund, which stands for Healing and Ending Addiction Through Recovery and Treatment. The HEART Fund is a new substance use disorder program proposed by the governor. Of that, $500,000 is allocated to Indian Health Services. And then once the $6 million for the HEART Fund is filled, the remainder goes to Fish, Wildlife Parks, a special state account for veterans and surviving spouses, the Montana Board of Crime Control, and the General Fund. So I think this is great. I want to wish the Montana market the very best of luck with its new program. And if we have anyone from the audience uh, who's in Montana and got to participate in this, please raise your hand and tell us about the first day of rec sales. This is Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Back to you, Nicole. It looks like Montana's really got their shit together. Uh, when I read this article, though, I was uh, I was curious. It said that you you mentioned that ninety percent of the state's population lives in green counties, but only a little more than half of the counties uh, don't have a ban on recreational cannabis. So th- those must just be really populous counties. How did that work out? Ninety yeah, percent. The ten percent are high, are very rural counties, according to this uh, this this story. Got it. Okay, great. Uh, Which is great. So even if half this, you know, almost half the counties, as you said, Susan, uh, still have to go through this opt-in process, only ten percent of the state is is sort of stuck with the unregulated market at this point, and ninety percent has access to um, to regulated weed, and also with a twenty percent tax. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well, or any of the other correspondents thought on that 20% tax and the tax structure. Yeah, that was that was a little surprising. We've got Jaja Simone up from the audience. Jaja, did you want to weigh in on Menica's headline? Yes, I just had a question. Is it just me or 
did any of those funds get allocated towards cannabis education or cannabis research or any of that? It does not appear that that is the case. It's going to addiction, um, recovery and treatment, and then environmental causes, veterans, crime control. And then it could go to those to that through the general fund, but there's no allocation, according to this article. Thank you. Is for that not an issue? It might be it might be better to get uh, funding for research on a federal level because why why uh, should we have all all of the states you know doing their own separate re- research and the amount of money that it takes to do quality research like and I'm not trying to like shit on Montana I'm sure they're going to do great but just based on their population there's not going to be enough people there to get enough money on taxes to make such a difference on research like 6 months of a good research project uh, in in you know real science is going to cost a few million dollars so is that for cannabis it, addiction I'm just I I, I guess I have a problem general. when I hear money that's coming from cannabis that's getting allocated to everything except for things that have to do with cannabis. Like here, that here. to me is ridiculous. Yeah. They, you're okay. making money off of us, but none of the money is going back into the communities that are really being affected. So when you say addiction, they're talking about addiction from drugs, not addiction from cannabis. So we're, we're just, putting money from cannabis into any and everything except for cannabis. And I think that it needs to be more attention drawn to that because this is not just business. We need to definitely- People's lives are, have been affected and will continue to be affected. But as long as it's being disregarded and no one is bringing attention to that and only bringing attention to money that's going to all these other places is going to continue to be a problem. It's the reason why we did these well, I, I, us I, I, because in order for us to get the good money, we're going to need to get federal conversations happening and we're going to need to have all of the states bringing in money to bring towards that research. So one, you're a hundred percent right. But two, we need to get descheduling on our big agenda because once we have not, no longer a federally illegal substance, research becomes a lot more reasonable. Dr. Felicia, you've got the last word. Well, I think maybe they've come up with this um, division of their tax revenue based on the population that lives in Montana and the problems that they have. I was wondering why there wasn't any social equity stuff, but perhaps there aren't many black people in Montana. Montana. Yeah, no one's no one's holding the torch. We're going to go, we're past the half hour point. We're going to go ahead and relight this room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, yeah. So this Long Beach-based can, cannabis and intellectual property attorney is head of honcho at Fruit Slabs. And not only can you probably find him in the background of random celebrity IG accounts, but if you look hard enough, old Entourage episodes, too. How long have you really been pulling the strings behind the scenes in Hollywood, Brandon Dorsky? <laughs> Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, my headline comes from Law 360. It's Ohio pot legalization campaign has one week to get on ballot. 
the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, a campaign aiming to legalize adult-use cannabis in Ohio, did not meet the number of signatures necessary to make the ballot. Secretary of State Frank LaRose let the initiative know they were 13,602 signatures short of qualifying for the November ballot. And they now have until January 13th to gather the remaining signatures necessary, which may be a tough task in an Omicron winter in Ohio. Organizers nonetheless believe they can make the last-ditch effort to meet the final deadline. Tom Heron, campaign spokesman, said in an email, quote, We have a veritable army of people on the field as we speak. This is a minor blip, and we are confident we will have our proposal in front of the General Assembly as planned. Their proposed legislation would create a division of cannabis control within the Ohio Department of Commerce to regulate the new industry. It would also task the state's Department of Development with creating a social equity and jobs program. Republican representatives have pitched their own adult-use cannabis legalization bill, the Ohio Adult Use Act, which was introduced in December and would impose a 10% sales tax on adult-use products. Their bill would also limit the number of retail dispensary licenses to one shop for every 60,000 Ohioans until 2027, when there would be a reassessment. If the ballot measure can gather the signatures, it is possible it could be determined before the Republican bill's fate is is determined. A Democratic-sponsored bill to legalize adult-use cannabis was introduced in August, advanced out of its first committee, but then did not make any further progress. Another medical marijuana bill addressing changes to the state's program was approved by the state Senate in December and is currently in the House. That bill contains some of the same elements as uh, the Republican bill and would expand the list of qualifying conditions to include opioid addiction and any condition where a physician thinks the patient would benefit from cannabis. The gist of this story is there's lots of political activity going on in the state of Ohio with respect to the legalization of cannabis. Depending on which side of uh, the political coin you are on, you may be pulling for one bill over another. I'm personally pulling for the one proffered by the people uh, because they don't necessarily have some perverted stake in the industry. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the state of cannabis. Ohio and Kentucky. Lots and lots of fuckery. I didn't understand the deadlines, Brandon. They missed the deadline, but they still have more time? Uh, they, they must have submitted their bill. And then, apparently in the state of Ohio, if you don't have enough signatures, the Secretary of State sends you a notice, and then you have 10 days from receipt of that notice to gather the remaining signatures. So they got that notice January 3rd. They have until January 13th to prove to the state that they've gathered the remaining signatures. Oh, wow. Shit. I, I wonder how much it costs per signature in Ohio. Really curious about the signature gathering process. It's, uh, it's a difficult one. That's, that's... And who's financing it? That, the article did not make that clear. Anybody from Ohio in the audience, please raise your hand. O-H... Susan, you've brought this up before about who's financing um, this in other campaigns and seeing that it doesn't note in this article either. Is there a way that we know to look and find that out? Is it public information? And is it different for every state probably, correct? Well, yeah, because some states don't even have the initiative process. Can you put in a FOIA request for that? Somebody get on that, please, and get back to us. 
It would depend on what kind of organization is doing the, um, actually trying to, uh, raise the signatures. So if it were a, a private group or it depends if they're like a 401c3, I don't know. It, I think the rules would be different, um, for all those type of things. Uh, but there's always, you know, things that you can find at the end of quarters with, uh, I would talk to the Ohio department of state to find out who's financing these type of things. They're the ones who control that kind of, uh, information when it comes to campaigns. If it is a FOA request, it those always used to make me laugh because they, they that's just how you legally bury paperwork for the most part. Well, your requests work, Sean. I don't know why you don't like them. It just means you got to do a little extra digging. They work. Yeah. I, I know as I used to receive them and I just know how long they can take to be approved. <laughs> they do work. They just take a very long time. Well, thank you so much for that headline, Brandon, um, an interesting bit on Ohio. I think this is, uh, it might have the Streisand effect long term. Um, and up next, we have Christopher Smith. Christopher Smith is the communication strategist and the publisher of the American Cannabis Report and our very own Clark Kent. What do you have to, for us today, Superman? Good morning, Nicole. Thanks for the nice intro. Good morning, Susan and Rico and everyone. My story today comes from just south of Hogwarts, and it's reported in the UK Daily Mail. I've seen how cannabis destroys neighborhoods. From For Sadiq Khan to decriminalize it is a lethal mistake, writes Andy Cook, CEO of the Center of Social Justice. So according to the BBC, there were 30 teenagers murdered in London in 2021, and every crime like this is a tragedy, which they know well in Chicago, where the number is four times as high. But in Britain, the facility with language gives some people the license to embellish. For example, Andy Cook, who claimed that the London total is an appalling toll, one that shames Britain and brings untold grief to families. So little Shakespeare is batting one for three in hyperbole, so he took another swing. It's an inescapable fact that in a vast number of cases, the cannabis trade is to blame. And while he's not as evil as Joe Manchin, the Nero of West Virginia, I think this canon Nazi needs to get knocked down a peg. Cook is the CEO of a Save the Poor organization called the Center for Social Justice, who doesn't think that it's ironic that he supports stop and frisk laws. My feeling is that Cook is thumbing his thesaurus because the mayor of London, Trump target and known Muslim and brown person Sadiq Khan, has proposed to replace the criminalization of small amounts of cannabis with a counseling program as a way to loosen the noose of criminal records on young people. But this creative concept has conservative boxers in a twist. Boris Johnson, the prime minister and face, uh, the prime minister with the face of a bulldog and the hair like Johnny Rotten, wants instead to ramp up the war on drugs. Quote, backed by record investment, the strategy we're setting out will attack supply and break the county lines model, and those who break the law will have nowhere to hide. Good luck with that, Bo. The war on drugs is a winner everywhere it's been tried. But back to Andy Cook, who calls the Muslim mayor's move a lethal mistake and never met a color he couldn't will to be whiter, he claims a major deterrent to drug abuse is the threat of legal penalties. If people fear the chance of arrest, many will think twice. And the power of that argument is wiped out by the mayor's plan. 
Sorry, old chap, the power of that argument is wiped out by reality. Didn't seem to stop those teen murderers, for example. But instead, he suggests, for young offenders, the best answer is to encourage them to better lives. And the three magic words that always turn around young people in poor communities, rehabilitation, education, and family support. All the evidence shows that young people with full-time jobs have immeasurably better life chances. Unfortunately, that balderdash is British for just say no, and it's quite problematic at the moment because London's youth unemployment rate has soared 55% since the pandemic started. It's now one in five young people unemployed in London. It's five times the national rate. So guess what the jobless rate is for young people with criminal records? That's the problem that Mayor Khan is trying to solve in that crazy brown Muslim way of his. Meanwhile, Andy Cook and Monka Boris would rather go medieval, threaten, attack, break, jail, stop and frisk. No wonder the UK is decades behind us in understanding cannabis and young people and poor people and brown mayors with crazy ideas that just might work. Back to you, Nicole. This, you know, this is a really interesting experiment that he is proposing, and uh, he still has to get the city council uh, to approve it, which hopefully they will. But what left me, and this is also, the story is also covered in The Guardian, Um, what left me scratching my head is that uh, the experiment is only in three boroughs and it's only for 18 to 24 year olds so um it's interesting weird uh, and and novel and creative i i you know i'm really curious about this story i can't wait to see what happens uh but that uh boris johnson guy man he is caveman well, Boris well, just Johnson, look at his hair. He is worried about uh, Islamic fundamentalism infiltrating the United Kingdom through localized gang activity, similar to how Latin America is portrayed uh, when the United States did this with gangs like MS-13, which are very, they're very real, they're very dangerous, but not all Mexicans, right? Or not all Guatemalans, or not all Peruvians, or Salvadorians, etc. So I think that's the chip that Boris Johnson is playing. It's, it's one that's already been played because we operate in cycles these like human patterns and i'm wondering if they're looking at cannabis in the same lens that the united states did in the 1940s but instead of latin people we're talking about islamic people right quick um prohibition never works um prior to the pandemic the two hugest spikes in crime happened when alcohol was prohibited and when nixon renewed the war on drugs in 1970 those are the two biggest spikes in crime because criminals have to be more vicious, more um, just killers to keep their um, market share. And regarding addiction, don't ask about addiction. Ask why the pain. Try to work on what's causing the pain. That's that's the issue. I haven't. Yeah, but they can never solve poverty, and that's why they make so much noise about drugs. There's, there's too much money that we my, poverty can be solved in an instant. There's too much money on this planet. I haven't had to buy weed from some sketchy situation that made me uncomfortable that I thought I was going to get hurt in since legalization. So I definitely, as a person who's been in the business before and after through this process, um, I definitely had to interact with some very unsavory people prior to legalization, and that is not happening anymore for me. 
And speaking of jobs, we you know here in the states we have at least at least three hundred and thirty thousand jobs in our industry. So if they want to create jobs for these young people, how about legalizing cannabis and creating jobs that way? Why not? It also it also brings up like you watch neighbors like Germany doing what they're doing, and then we talk about the European Union. And remember, before the pandemic, the big headline was Brexit. So looking at the long term economic standing and future of Europe. This is all really interesting to see how cannabis is influencing it. I wanted to add also that uh, in The Guardian, they said that uh, the illegal drug trade in the UK is estimated to cost society 19 billion pounds per year and close to 42,000 people across England and Wales were charged with drug-related offenses last year. So with that, let's keep smoking the news. Let's keep smoking. Coming up next, she's a feisty conservative redhead who never backs down in a debate with her cannabis-loving peers across the aisle. A former Capitol Hill communications director and founder of Panoptic Strategies, we've got the State Academist News Hour's very own Washington Insider. Gretchen Gailey, what you got for us today? Good afternoon, Rico. Uh, today I bring some good news from the feds. Uh, I know I'm usually Debbie Downer coming out of Washington with the world's going to end and nobody cares. Uh, but today's headline is Federal Marijuana Monopoly Finally Ends as Two Companies Harvest Cannabis Approved by DEA. This comes from a marijuana moment. The federal monopoly on cannabis manufacturing for research has finally been broken, with two companies telling Marijuana Moment this week that they have harvested cannabis with the blessings of the DEA. For more than 50 years, only a single facility at the University of Mississippi has been permitted under a federal agreement to grow marijuana for study purposes. In recent years, DEA said it would ta be taking steps to end the monopoly and authorize additional manufacturers. Several companies received conditional approvals for their applications in May. Two of those companies, Groff North America Hemplex and the biopharmaceutical research company, say they've officially received registrations from the DEA and have started growing and harvesting plants. But for the, for the time being, they are only approved to grow the crops for internal quality control and calibration purposes. Uh, with the intent of later being approved to sell products to DEA to be distributed for clinical research and drug development. In any case, researchers say this development represents a significant step forward with the DEA making initial moves to oversee the production of research-grade cannabis on a scale that hasn't been seen before. All of these steps are incremental steps that lead to our production at BRC and certainly all of our peers in the federally legal cannabis industry. These steps are taking place because of the loud drumbeat of the advocates of the cannabis community over the past decades. Uh, that uh, statement comes from George Hodgkin, the CEO of BRC. Advocates, lawmakers, and health officials alike have been strongly pushing for expanded cannabis research, with many complaining that the current supply of government-grown marijuana for studies is insufficient and that its products are chemically dissimilar from what is available at dispensaries in state legal markets. Uh, NIDA director Nora Volkow told Marijuana Moment that it would be valuable for researchers to access cannabis from such retailers to better understand the risks and benefits of what consumers are taking in states from across the country. In November, President Joe Biden signed a massive in infrastructure bill that includes provisions aimed at providing researchers with that access. In the interim, getting DEA on board with authorizing additional manufacturers could help close the research gap on cannabis as federal prohibition continues to impede efforts to study the plant. The BRC completed its first harvest in November and is now working on its second batch of cannabis crops under the DEA licensure. Another company, 
uh, also completed, Groff also completed its first harvest under a similar arrangement last week. Frank Houghton, the CEO of Brighterside Vertical Farms, which was contracted by Groff to cultivate cannabis, told Marijuana Moment that the purpose of the first harvest was to get our genetics in the door, get plants in the ground, and really show the DEA that this is something that is possible. This is something that can be done the same as any other drug ingredient. That's where we are at with Groff. It was really pr- proving the concept, getting it in there, and now creating a pathway to hopefully become a sort of domestic supplier uh, as FDA approvals go through after these experiments are done. Um, I would say this is a great uh, first step for research. I hope to see more of these applications uh, going through and that more folks are going to get plants in the ground uh, to, to help foster research. This is these things like this are what's going to get legalization done in this country. I know it's slow and nobody wants to go this slow, but the feds need to see, oh, this is what this plant does. This is what the medicinal purpose are. Let's look at the research. This is what's going to push cannabis over uh, the finish line, not some massive giant bill to legalize. Uh, they need to see this research first to get any movement in Washington. This Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Gretchen, they already know. They already know. They don't know, Rico. I, I swear you say they know, but I have met lots of these people on the Hill. They don't. And it's know. willful ignorance then. Yeah, it, I think it's like a combination of it. It's like, okay, they did know to an extent when they first outlawed it that it was harmless. And then they knew more because they researched it, like the CIA. You know, come on, people research this stuff. Come on. And then... uh but they don't know because you actually do have, look, as much as I'm hard on the government, you do have honest working people who are really trying their best and they're trying to figure it out and they believe in the system and they're trying to make it better and they don't know and they need to be educated. Well, and, like and that's ask, our job. Um, uh, Dr. Felicia, I mean, what, how does this make you feel? Does this get you all warm and fuzzy inside that, you know... <laughs> I'm I'm so happy that more people are going to be able to grow the plant. My concern is once the plant is grown, the DEA is going to be storing it, to my understanding, and they have put in their preliminary legislation that they will make no guarantees on the quality of it. And so I don't even know if it's going to be stored properly, but it's it's a start, and I'm happy for that. It's 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 more than a start. I think we should take a moment and celebrate this moment. Um, it's not everything, but how long have we been waiting for this? Audience, please raise your hands if you're excited about this. Let's let's celebrate this. Yay! Moment. Yay! Uh, finally, not just stems and seeds and twigs and crap. And hopefully it's one step closer. And everything lower than 0.6 THC. And hopefully it'll be one step closer to eradicating the DEA because are you serious? Let's get rid of that shit. It it needs to get out of here. eradicate the DEA. You have serious harmful drugs like fentanyl, things like that. I'm talking about about the evolution of the cannabis industry. Jump to Mr. Jason Beck. Jason Beck is the longest-running retailer in the history of cannabis. He's the industry's very own Kaiser Soze and literally the highest member of the GOP that I'd ever kick it with. What do you have to say today, Jason? Oh, today my story where MJ BizCon was sold for $120 million. Chris Walsh is excited this morning. We happily announced that MJ Biz, including MJ BizCon, has been acquired by Emerald X. Emerald X is a major B2B event organizer in the U.S. They also put on shows like Outdoor Retailer, International Pizza Expo, 
NASD Market Week. Here's what that means for MJ BizCon. In short, even MJ Biz CEO Chris Walsh is happy. Is MJ BizCon changing? The answer, nope. Emerald like, likes MJ BizCon as much as we do. We still can't wait to connect in November at MJ BizCon. We've just added Emerald's deep bench experience and imagination. Picture a properly fertilized flower. It's not a different thing. Just bolder, stronger, more of itself. Consider the acquisition fertigation. We're getting all tingly just thinking about it. Next question. Do I need to do anything about my booth and my ads or, or other relationships with MJ Biz? The answer, nope. It's as steady as she goes. If you are just worried, reach out to salesmjbizdaily.com or partnerships at MJ Biz Daily, and we can reassure you. What about my staff connections at MJ Biz? Are you all fired? The answer is no. We are all here. Your favorite reporters, sales reps, and yes, CEO Chris Walsh are all continuing on. In fact, the only one stepping away of her own accord is founder and co-partner Cassandra Farrington. She'll help through the transition and then dictate time to her new role as chair of the Society of Independent Show Organizers, the SISO. Once a hustler, always a hustler. And then people want to know, what's the business angle? Well, Having just celebrated its 10th anniversary, MJ BizCon is growing up thanks to you. It'll do better with the kinds of processes and systems a bigger company can provide. Plus, this deal is like others we've been seeing in cannabis. The mainstream is ready to invest, and like many of you, we are ready to level up. It's like we're all on the same hike, friends. See you along the trail. And that is from the CEO of uh, uh, Chris Walsh of MJ BizCon. And I wish MJ BizCon the best. I'm still looking forward to going to, to Vegas in November and turning up with all of my cannabis friends and executives. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. How much will uh, booths cost going forward? Oh, that was a good pun, Rico. That was fucking good. I wonder uh, what MJ Unpacked is thinking about this deal. I'm thinking that they you know I think I think we complain about like the culture not being a part of MJ biz enough so I'm ho- I'm optimistic maybe it'll it'll bring more connection to culture and less corporate this new company oh. all they do is trade shows the new company has no focus on cannabis whatsoever the new company that acquired it is like main focus is big trade shows they do like pet food and all kinds of other random shit so I think I would say this would actually disassociate us further from the culture I think it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity for MJ Unpacked to expand and connect even deeper with the cannabis community and build off of what they started last year. You don't I you think don't think seeing more headlines. I'm sorry, the smaller trade shows would would help to bring people together and more regionalize. They're going to do more trade shows than more mini MJ BizCons around the country. That's a, I don't think it's a bad thing. I I think this is going to be. I think it's this. Sorry, I was just. I think that as we continue to see these kind of headlines with this kind of money in the billions, that hopefully it will uh, push safe banking with further, you know, priority behind it. 
Well, we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay, or better yet, subscribe to our YouTube channel and get the edited version later in the day, or find us anywhere you get your your podcasts. A big thank you to all of the correspondents for digging through the headlines and bringing us just what we need to know. Thank you, Nicole and Rico, for co-producing the show with me. I couldn't do it without you. And thank you, audience, for making the State of Cannabis News Hour the stickiest show here on Clubhouse and in the podcast universe. Yeah. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye.